Welcome to the Godcasts. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this Pilgrim's Journey. This is day 13, uh, retracing uh, Dave's steps because we want to know <laughs> where Dave was for this period of his life, and he needs to account for it for legal reasons. So, um, Dave, welcome. How are you? Are you well? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. It put me in mind of um, some comedy show that I remember watching where someone was supposed to go away on holiday and they'd convinced all their friends and family that they were going abroad and actually all they did was book into a local travel lodge for two weeks. I believe this is Miranda that you're referring to. Miranda, yes. Genius so, that is Miranda. I, I did actually do this, this journey. I didn't book into the local travel lodge for seven weeks. Have we um have we had people commenting on the on Facebook and on the podcast saying I remember meeting you or is it a complete? Oh, no, interestingly, no, nobody's actually so far as long as I know. Feel free to do this if you're listening. Yeah, actually, put up some comments somewhere on Facebook or on the on the website saying yes, I was there, I saw him. That would be great. Just to, I mean, just to, many, many people are probably trying to wipe it from their minds. It's um, probably it years of therapy later. They've but just yes. forgotten, and I've woken it up again in them, and they're just traumatized again. They may not thank you for it. But yes, if you are the farmer that made breakfast, or the Mike that gave a glass of water, or even the white van driver whose offer of help was rejected quite brutally. <laughs> Uh, or the indeed the ferry owner who um, quit his business when he heard the day was coming, then do please do get in touch. Yes, that would be delightful. Day 13. Day 13. Yes. Uh, a place called Ken. A place called Ken. I'm quite excited about day 13 because this was my second weekend, mm-hmm. uh, second Saturday, and this was the first time I was going to meet up with somebody from my home church. In Ken in Ken this weekend. So one of the things that I planned into my pilgrimage sort of schedule was that um, each weekend I would meet up with somebody. Somebody from the church would had volunteered to come to meet up with me, bring supplies for the next week, take on my dirty washing home for my poor daughter to wash and sort out. Um, but for that first two weeks, it did seem quite unreasonable to expect somebody to travel all the way from Cambridge down into Cornwall. When you were in a travel lodge around the corner. <laughs> yeah, obviously. But Exeter, which is where I was going to be on Sunday, so this weekend seemed okay. And Ed, who I've mentioned before, Ed, who was is one of the deacons at the church and um, really into the whole expedition stuff. He was my expedition sort of manager back at base. He was the one that came down traveled down to do the swap over and so I was going to meet him this mm. Saturday and just spend a bit of time with him so I was really looking forward to that mm. it had been quite a solitary experience for most of the time lots of encounters with people in different places but the walks themselves had on the whole been quite solitary things unless I had suddenly spontaneously burst into song this wasn't always a particularly pleasant thing or, um, a, you know, a brief hello to a traveller. Mostly my walking had been quiet, silence, mm. which would surprise a lot of people. Mm. The idea that I could be quiet for that amount of time. Mm. Mm. Really 
It's it sounds great. Yeah, it it sounds unlikely, but but idyllic, if I'm honest. Yeah, and you know, we should tell people that you have burst into song a few times whilst we've been recording this podcast. But there is not a living soul on the <laughs> who would want to hear that. So we have edited those things out Indeed. for for you, the listener, not the hearer, the listener. The other bit, of course, we've edited is you dancing to my singing, which is another thing not to be witnessed. <laughs> um, dancing for Dave is a separate YouTube um, channel. <laughs> yeah. So you um, you sent Ed home, didn't you, with a letter? Not quite. No, I, I met up with Ed on the Saturday, but at the end of that Saturday, I wrote a, an email letter to the church. I thought it was with Ed, but it was... No, no. So I wrote this that evening when I arrived in Ken. So Ken, um, that was a good walk. I'd had my breakfast at the farmer, and then I only walked a couple of miles, and there was Ed waiting for me. He'd made his way from Exeter. He actually walked out from Exeter, and we met up, and then we walked back the journey back into Exeter together. Mm. Um, and it was um, it was a really interesting thing to suddenly be walking with somebody. It mm. was really nice to share that we were both heading in the same place, and that was quite nice. Mm. Um, I don't know whether I was quiet all the time because I'd forgotten how to talk to people, but. Um, it was I'll good. come back to you now, clearly, but yes. Yeah, it was good to share that experience. Um, but when we got to, um, to Ken, um, we, we walked and then Ed then carried on back into Exeter because that's where we were going to end up in on the, on the Sunday. So it, it, was, it was nice just to, as I say, share that time, share the journey, share the road, to catch up with what was happening back home, yeah. to be confident that someone had actually turned up with a box full of clean underwear and socks for me after two weeks. That was a relief. Yeah. Um, and, but, but at the end of the day, I thought I'd write something to the church, just something yeah. they could share on, on, the, on the Sunday. Uh, and so that's what I did. It, um, it's, a, it's a lovely letter in terms of your reflections on the difference between um, a pilgrim and a tourist. Mm. And uh, I, I don't think I'd, I'd fully, I don't think I'd spend much time thinking about that. I mean, pilgrimage is not usually something that um, is a common theme. Um, but there's some nice stuff in there about the, the, the purpose of the journey, um, sort of changing the nature of it, really. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, we sort of spoke a little bit about this before when I talked about arriving, I think it was at Truro, and um, asking questions about what we've done with churches where we may become tourist attractions. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. can come in and they're not coming in with a spiritual purpose. They're just coming in to go, oh, nice, get a postcard and a plastic dice mm. or something or yeah. e ring. Yeah. Um, and that when we, as a pilgrimage, we're not just walking through the place. We're not just going through. We mm. we are we are immersing ourselves into the place. We we are seeking to be enriched by the encounter we we have in that place or on that that part of the journey. Mm. We we're trying to let go of or 
by our normal day-to-day things so that we can encounter God and what he wants to say to us in those places. Mm -hmm. Um, A tourist comes and has a look and then leaves. But I think as a pilgrim, you come and you leave something behind and you take something away with you Mm -hmm. from that encounter. Just to stop you there for just a second, because I, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I, I don't think I've ever been offered a plastic dice. <laughs> I don't know if that's something you maybe it's a South of England thing, I don't know, but it's not something that I've indeed in any ancient building. <laughs> but I mean, it, you could expect to see them in a, in a church uh, tourist shop around Easter, symbolic of the dice that were played. As Jesus was on the cross. I think you're digging fairly deep now, aren't you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but sorry, we, don't, we digress. Sorry, um, I should have said a plastic fridge magnet or, or something like that. Or just in, indeed just a fridge magnet. Uh, the, <laughs> the material is, is uh, as long as it's magnetic, is largely yeah. yeah. irrelevant. We, we are definitely digressing. Do you, do you think there was any um, sense of pressure on the journey uh, to uh, come up with some sort of significant reason for it in terms of writing home, writing the reflection, sharing back. Um, I know people that knew you, knew something of your story, had certainly had hopes and dreams for you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, prayers of, of what it could be, of what it could mean. Um, but I, I wonder sometimes, uh, and please don't you know, feel under pressure to, to agree or disagree, but um, sometimes there can be a sense of our time off, however long or significant it is, people want it to be something, to you know, mean something. Um, and sometimes um, there can be a pressure to have had an epiphany or have had a mm. discovery that actually sometimes doesn't come in the moment and doesn't come immediately after either. Yeah. Um, you need to have a significant sort of distance between the event to, to fully see where it sits mm-hmm. you know, and, and to see what, what it means. Um, so, yeah, so, so you writing back home to the church 13 days into a however long it was in total, seven weeks, wasn't it, in total? Mm. Um, did you feel under any pressure to, to be having, uh, when am I going to get the, you know, the big spiritual discovery or, or not? I think uh, when, when I come up with the idea of doing a pilgrimage as, as my sabbatical, there were times when I, I thought, how am I going to make this meaningful? Mm because it had come as an alternative to spending three months doing some research on some theological topic and mm-hmm. talking about the God of play and the theology of play, and that that would be measurable. I'd be able to sort of look at that at the end, and if I'd written something, it would be measurable that I'd written something that was a load of rubbish. And yeah. Fine. Yeah. And, and I suppose there was some anxiety when I was preparing that, how, how is this measurable? that it's been purposeful. How will people judge whether this was worthwhile? But I I think once I started walking, I just felt I wanted to to write a few things, my reflections. That seemed like a really good thing to do. It's quite odd for me because I can remember in the first year at college and at university, one of the 
requirements put upon us was to do daily journaling. Mm. At the time, it was one of the, the college principals, things he liked to, to give people to do. And I hated it. Mm. I hated writing daily journals mm. because there were some days when I felt like I really didn't have anything to write at all. Mm. I ended up just writing drivel, mm. what it felt like to me. Um, but it was a discipline that he felt was important for us to do because mm. of trying to reflect on things and record stuff. So I was, I was encouraged once I started my journey that I found it really quite easy just to write these little reflections. Sometimes they were scribbled in a notebook as I was walking. Often it was at the end of the day when I sat back and thought, what was it that, that felt meaningful today? But I didn't ever feel under pressure to do that, mm. which was really good. And I felt really encouraged by that. And I certainly didn't feel, I only came up with the idea of writing that letter to the church on that Saturday. Mm sat there in the afternoon. I'd arrived at Ken quite early because it was, I, I said last time, my weekend walks, I tried to make quite short. Mm. I knew that Ed had come over from Exeter to, to meet me and do part of the journey. And then he was going to walk back. Um, and I'd, I got to Ken quite early and they'd, for the hospitality there was in a hotel. They booked me into a hotel not far from the, the village, which was a fabulous luxury to, to be in, have a room and a shower and television and Wi-Fi connection. Mm. Um, and I think later I reflected back on that and it was a little bit odd, but um, so I was in a comfortable place and I think they booked me in for dinner as well in, in the hotel. Um, but then I was sat on the bed just relaxing and I just thought it'd be really nice to share something mm. that, that could be read out in church the following day. And so that's what I did. I sent it to the church secretary. And then I sort of followed that on through the thing. But not because I felt under pressure to do so. Um, I, it just seemed a, the right thing to do at the time. Mm. Because I, I had, as you know, um because you walked walked through a lot of things with me during this time but mm. um part of my story of, of this year is that at the start of it other people saw it before i did but i was uh, physically and, and spiritually burnt out and part of the problem of not seeing it was not fully understanding the, the reasons for it mm. uh, and there's definitely a range of responses when a minister's off hill mm. Um, and all, all I'm sure coming from from good places. Uh, one was that some people want to tie it. I had long COVID during last year, and some people want to tie it into that. Um, and I think it was, and it wasn't related. To be honest, I my immune system was low because of the state I was in, rather than the other way around. Um, but also, some people ask you how you are, and you they, you can see in their eyes. They, they they want the story of but i'm okay now you know but mm -hmm. i'm uh, and what, what i tend to try and say to people is i'm i'm recovering from burnout and i desperately do not want to relapse because what i read about it is that they, you know you relapse into it tough and worse than the first time um and, and i wonder if for people who are in positions of leadership and spiritual leadership uh if the pressure to have it all together to have the answer um and to not actually still be journeying um 
Yeah, surely you can't tell us about our journeys. Unless you can. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Is I it think, thing? Yeah, that, that thing about the expectation on our ministers. When my, so when I was still in college, my second child, Ben, was diagnosed with brain cancer. Yeah. And, um, my experience was that the church I was in, that I was um, placed in at the time, on the whole, corporately struggled to know what to do for a minister in that situation, for its minister. It didn't know how to give out the pastoral care that the minister needed and his family. And it became quite a, a tense time. I had about six weeks off whilst we got Ben, went through his first lot of surgery and then into chemotherapy, started his chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And it became clear that for quite a lot of people, they, they just didn't know what to do with that. They hadn't got the wherewithal to respond to the minister needing support. Wow. That just wasn't how it worked. That was yeah. your job. So, as you say, to have it all together, for everything to be sort of perfectly straightforward. Um, to the extent that people were starting to question and, and ask when I was coming back to, to visit people and things. Yeah. And, um, and it was uncomfortable. It was a difficult time. Um, and interestingly, outside of the immediate church community, the wider community of the village that we were living in and the connections with the parish church and others was incredible how people responded mm -hmm. and, and i don't know what that what that is it's about something to do with that church community has an expectation that your minister is the one that does the pastoral care it yeah. goes it goes in that direction yeah and there isn't an equipped there isn't the church isn't equipped to do it the other way around. And they really didn't know what to do at that point. Yeah. Um, and some of that, I think, is because there is this strange thing where we're supposed to be, certainly in, in the free church, in the Baptist sort of setup, you know, we are set aside as ministers. We're not higher than anybody else. We're not better than anyone else. We are simply set aside with this gift of preaching and teaching. We're supposed to be part of the church family yet we are stuck up on a pedestal somewhere out the way. The relationship with the majority of people in our church is not a friend-friend relationship. It's a minister parishioner sort of relationship yeah. because people want a little bit of separation. Um, so, yeah, when you, when you take time out, when you step away, like for whatever reason, it's not always easy for people to, to understand what it is that's going on. Yeah. There's still expectations on you. Yeah, yeah. To be doing, to giving, to feeding. Yeah. So what you need at the time is is that space. And that, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of the things that I sort of uh, noticed is that my relationship with, with some people um particularly those who were very hands-on and making sure i was okay and making sure i had the support i needed whilst at the same time bless them picking up a whole bunch of stuff and, and mm -hmm. keeping the thing going um has changed um is that it is no longer that sort of one way 
um, thing. Uh, and I think, you know, there are those that understand, um, I mean, I'm back full time now, but but it's almost as soon as I was back for a couple of mornings, a couple of days a week, people just thought that was it. You know, yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and didn't understand that it, there was a, a, a process to it. Uh, but by and large, you know, I've been very blessed that, that people have, and I know our situations were very, very different. I'm not um, you know, trying to even say they're remotely similar. Um, but, you know, the, the, by and large, the experience for me was that people were um, sort of be very understanding, you know, um, and that there was that, that sense of, uh, of, of space. Uh, and there, there are some then in the church who've started to talk about their experience mm. of burnout. Um, in a way that they wouldn't probably have spoken to me about it before. Um, and so there, there is that sort of common, um, like, you know, we've we've read similar things, we've thought, we've been through very similar experiences. There's a sort of a shorthand in the way that we're mm. able to talk about it. Um, and I guess there is that unique thing about you wouldn't wish suffering on anyone. And yet it does give you a, a very common experience together, a shared experience that this squeaky clean up on a pedestal, all the answers kind of mm. ministry will never, never allow you to reach. Yeah. Um, it's interesting trying to reflect on what, what it is people think they want when they want a minister. Mm. What, what, what is it that, that, that makes a minister a minister? And, um, I, I can remember talking um, at college, at university, when I, I, I came along, I'm quite a lot older than most people, I think Steve, Steve Jones was is similar age to me, he's old as well, you know, ancient really, to be honest, and, um, but there was quite a few younger folks coming into ministry, much younger, um, and it, there was a bit of a change to the structure and the format under which ministry training was, was starting to take place and church placements and things. Um, but there was, I got this real sense that at the time, God was doing something because the churches weren't. He was looking for a, a different type of, of ministry. It was different, different shapes. People that were going to lead his churches in a different way and when you looked at that group of people if you look at those people that we were in college with it was a very diverse mm. bunch of people yes the the commonality was limited to our belief of that we were called to minister to god's people <coughs> but our backgrounds and our stories and our ages and our um, hopes and ambitions for our ministers were so widely different yeah and it struck me at the time i was really excited by it that it felt like god was saying i i'm doing a new thing mm. i'm going to send out to my churches some completely different people mm. people that they don't expect people that are not like the normal mm. and this might sound very very judgy but it's not going to be the black suit the gray suit and tie same old thing this is different. This Some is, of us had navy suits, didn't we? You know, it was. Some um, of us yeah. haven't got a suit at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but do you know what I mean? When you look at those people, it was like God said, 
we need to shake up what it is to be. We minimalist. certainly were very different. Yes, yes very different. Mm. Um, and and one of the privileges of I felt training at the Baptist College and, and through say, through the, the university was that we did some of that stuff alongside people from the Anglican College and Methodist ministers. And that, again, brought a, another shape. And, and They were even weirder, weren't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, um, <clears throat> but the God, but there's this thing where very much in church, I fear that perhaps there's, there's a model, a shape, an idea of what ministers should be, and they're the finished product. There are people that have completed their journey, have got all the answers, and are now going to come and tell us how to do the same thing. Yeah. And when I when I think about that ragtag bunch of misfits that we were at college with, yeah, God, not one of us was completed, and rightly so, mm. because actually, a really essential, important part of I think being a minister is that you are still on a journey. You are, are discovering. You've still got uh, the excitement of finding out what God's going to do with you next. And that, that's what you feed to your people, mm. the God's people, not your people, mm. the God's people, you, that you are discovering something new, that you are on a journey to. And that's, I think, probably quite radical for a lot of churches yes. who, have, who have been used to the traditional shape and gender and all the rest of it. And suddenly, now yeah. that wasn't what God was doing, and yeah. He sent us out. And we've gone off and done ministry in many different ways in different places, as God needed us to do. Mm. And, and I think there's something there about um, if God wanted us just to all have this um, sort of very packaged, very sanitized sort of faith, He could have just given us a creed. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could either tick that you assented to it mentally or, or not. But actually what he's given us is his son yeah. and he's given us his stories. Um, and there is this interplay, there is this dynamic at, at work. And so I don't think the role of those in spiritual leadership, those in, who are called to preach and teach, is to tell people what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um as if the bible can never still surprise us or shock us or you know lead us um but is to model what do i do when i face a question or i hear a call um or there's a challenge in my life or a crisis and there isn't a nice neat easy answer mm -hmm. which actually leads us back to to what you wrote about i think on on this day which is interesting um but how do I? How do we, as as ministers, as those in in lead, spiritual leadership, how do we model how we navigate those landscapes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how we navigate those storms um, in a way that will equip people? Because I can't possibly preach about every question they're ever going to have, or every mm -hmm. challenge, or every crisis, um, because people are far more complex than that, you know. Um, and just recognizing that, but say, here's here's the kind of questions you should ask, here's the kind of things you should think about, um, is far more helpful and far more honest than here are the answers. And and one of the things church needs to learn to do is is enable its leaders, its ministers, its youth leaders, its pastoral leaders, whatever they are, to have the time to do that journey in themselves yeah. and discover because. If you are shut in your office six days a week, 
doing sermon writing or preparing slides for the service or planning meetings for this that and the other and if, if you are doing that you are you're locked into this this thing this space yeah. where it doesn't present you with a time to journey to, to go and discover what god wants to say to you today so you come back with excitement and say wow yeah. you won't believe what god said to me today yeah yeah the journey i've been on this week <clears throat> we get this sabbatical seven years and we get this three month space and i feel that probably we either slip into the, the typical model of somebody says, well, write about this theological point, go and study it, and we do something that's a bit dry, and it's not really, really relevant to the church, yeah. or we, we are so exhausted at the point that we've got a three-month break. It takes us two and a half months yeah, yeah, yeah. to even, even start to, to get something fresh, yeah. and then we're back in it again. And we're yeah, and actually, we need to really, we as, as uh, ministers, as leaders, need to sort of actually make a demand of our churches that there's more space mm. for discovery and journeying and, and getting this refreshing. And churches need to allow it more. Mm. Mm. Churches, there needs to be space in the week of a minister. If a minister's busy all the time, there's a problem. Mm. There's really a problem. If there's not time, in your week for you to encounter people outside of church mm. maybe go and do some hobby that you enjoy mm. so just go and meet up with people at the pub or down at the football pitch or whatever it is if there isn't time to do that to be encountering different places and, and then how are you going to be continuing your journey I remember when um, we were still in college uh, Roy Searle came to speak to us from the Northumbria community mm -hmm. And um, we're expecting these sort of big, massive pearls of spiritual wisdom, you know. And he spoke about people who went there on retreat and on sabbatical. Uh, and he said, ministers are the worst at, at just learning that actually you're, you've come to do nothing. Mm. Uh, and they were quite often spent a lot of time napping or falling asleep and apologizing for it. Or they'll come expected some sort of program. And of course, there is some sort of program going on there. But one of the things he spoke about was the spiritual practice of pottering, of just finding something that needed doing and doing it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're, we're rubbish at that. Absolutely terrible at it. Mm. And but, um, if we can't model that yeah. in, in, our, in our ministry, then people feel under pressure. And I look around and see so many people feeling under pressure mm. if they're not doing something and that's yeah. something they define in a very narrow way it's got to be very organized and measurable by somebody else and and, and something can be nothing yeah <laughs> can yeah. be resting yeah is a hugely valuable yeah thing. yeah pottering is a fabulous spiritual thing i love that yeah sense to spiritually pot potter mm. Mm. potter around today yeah yeah, well, it's a bit like um, you know, Brother Lawrence's book, you know, practicing the presence of God. Yeah. He discovered one day miraculously he could feel as close to God when he was doing the washing up in the kitchen yeah. as the prayers in the cloisters. <coughs> he was worried about it, you know, freaked him out. And it's that um, that thing actually that when your mind is occupied with a simple task, it doesn't take you, um, doesn't tax you. You're sort of free to play. You're free to wonder and ponder. Um, you meet God in that, 
And, but the trouble is, is that often the way we share what God has said with us then doesn't reflect the fact that it was when we were washing up or walking the door. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and people think that it's up the mountain with tablets of stone mm -hmm. uh, rather than... Well, the, we're on our knees having been prayerfully reading this yeah. scripture for hours and hours for some time. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I should probably crack on with the washing up. So, uh, thanks, Ken. You provided much food for thought. Is it at Exeter next, isn't it? Yeah, short trip to Exeter. Yeah. Fab. All right. See you tomorrow. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening to the Godcasts. Mm -hmm.